It's great to see you this morning. We're in part three of our series on Unshakable. And in the series, we're looking at nine lessons that you find in the book of Daniel that we can apply to our life. One of them has to do with your faith. And his faith was tested actually in his education. And that applies to us today. Because some things that you learn in school kind of contradict some of the things that we find from God's word. We're going to spend two decades of our life minimum in education. And then obviously you want to continue to learn for the rest of your life. Now and then you meet somebody that they finish their degree. Then they think, great, that means I don't have to study anymore. No, you have to study the rest of your life if you want to be successful. If you want to get lost in the past, then you stop. Education is important to God. You know how it says, love God with all your mind? How do you do that? Well, you use your mind. Part of that is education. You know, you don't want to waste what God's given you. In Proverbs 19.8, it says, do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will prosper. God is saying that you do yourself a favor when you're learning as much as possible. Obviously, you have to use it. But you need a good education. Education is important. The Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, it's common sense that the first church in every country would be started by Christians. But the first universities in every country were started by Christians. The first hospitals in every country were started by Christians. Do you know the Hindus never went out starting universities or hospitals? The Muslims never went out starting universities and hospitals. The Buddhists never went out starting universities and hospitals. Why would that be important to us? Well, if you look at Jesus' life, he did three things. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Well, preaching, that's about your soul, about your spiritual growth. So we start at churches. But he went teaching. That's about your education. So we start at universities. All over the world. They were started by the very first one in every country. We started by us. And then there was others, and then eventually the government got involved and started doing them as well in these other countries. But it was the Christians that started it. So he was preaching, he was teaching, so we started universities, and he was healing, so we started hospitals. It only makes sense that if the person you're following is spending his time preaching, teaching, and healing, that we, his followers, would do the same thing. So we start churches, we start at hospitals, we start at the first universities. We believe in the whole person because God does. In Proverbs 24, 5, it says, Wisdom brings strength and knowledge gives power. We've heard that saying. People use it. Knowledge is power. Most people don't know it came from the Bible. Notice how they don't say after they say that, Proverbs 24, 5. They don't let you know where they got it from. But it's from God's word. That's where we got that idea. Knowledge is power because it is. When you get education... There's power to that. When you're learning things, you're going to respond to things in the right way. You want to be educated. You want to always learn, never get behind. Proverbs 4.13, always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life. This is the Bible saying your education is your life. So it says, so guard it well. First of all, are you getting an education? Are you continuing to learn? And are you guarding your education? That means are you learning the right stuff? 
before every blessing, there's always the testing. God will test Daniel, and then he'll bless him when he passes the test, and he gets promoted. And I think those same principles are true in our life. He wants to see, can he handle the success? Can he handle the influence and the power that will come from these things? We've been looking at nine common tests of life in the book of Daniel. The first one we looked at was major change. He went through major change and came out ahead, which means we can. The second test was peer pressure. He went through peer pressure and made the right choices and came out ahead. These are areas that a lot of people fail at. And the third one is challenges to his faith. And his faith was being challenged in the school system that he had to go through. The most powerful empire, the Babylonian Empire, had conquered Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. They took 25% of the best people that they could find there and took them as slaves into Babylon. And they ended up being there for, held captive for 70 years. So one of these people is Daniel. He was 15 years old, brand new to the country. Nebuchadnezzar, the leader, had a program set up to indoctrinate the young people that he was going to use for his kingdom. He changed all their names and gave them Babylonian names. He changed their diet. He was trying to change their religion. He took them away from their parents. You know, he took them away from any influence that they had from the past, and they were basically going to say, we're going to turn you into us. You're no longer going to be Jews. We're going to turn you into Babylonians. And that was the idea. Daniel 1, 4 and 5 says, King Nebuchadnezzar commanded, select young men and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. Teach these young men all the language and literature of the Babylonians. Not their literature, ours. They are to be trained for three years. Then some will serve the king after they graduate. When they graduated, he would meet with each one of them, and he would take the top ones he could find and have them serve him. The others would go and do other things. Daniel was there. He had three of his best friends with him. They're going to be educated in this program, who the Babylonians believe is the top degree program available. But the problem is the educational system he was going to go through was very anti-God. It had a lot of false religion. They, they would train people how to be fortune tellers because that's what they believed, how to be psychics. These type of things that the Bible says not to be involved in. It was a pagan education system. In Daniel 1.17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of that time. They were smart. They could be in the classroom and they could learn fast. These were good students. God had prepared them for this time in history for the things that God was going to use them these guys are already passed the other two tests. Now, can they go through a pagan school system and still come out ahead? Or are they going to lose their faith? Are they going to come out different? Are we going to let the culture around us change our beliefs? To them, the culture was their school system. To us, it's the culture. There's a lot of false science. There's some bad logic and bad reasoning out there. Are we going to receive that? And are we going to become like the world? Are we going to stay true to God and his word? Not everything the Babylonians were teaching was wrong. They had, a, you know, they had a good education. But a lot of what they taught was bad. But 
They're the ones that discovered Jupiter. It's because they're the ones that uh, invented astrology as a false religion. They found Jupiter because they believed that the gods spoke to them through the planets and through the stars, and they're the ones that started the zodiac, which is a false religion. They, that started way back there with the Babylonians. But from them we got Jupiter. We didn't know about Jupiter. They didn't even have a telescope, and they discovered that. They're the ones that came up with the idea of the 60 minutes and 60 seconds. 60 seconds an hour. They're the ones that divided up like that. 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour because they thought the number 60 was magical. But we've kept it today. We still use that system. Because they thought the number 60 was magical, they're the ones that did everything by 60s. So a 360, a circle is a 360 degrees. Why isn't it not 100 degrees? Or why is it because they thought the number 60 was magical? So they're the ones that invented that, and we still use that today. All that came from these people way back then, and we still use it today. Daniel 1, 18 through 20 says, When the three-year training was completed, the chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff as advisors. Now, they're just 18 years old, and he was so impressed, he's using them as advisors. I don't think of a leader, a world leader, the most important world leader, having a bunch of 18-year-olds advising him. You know, you're thinking he's going to have, and he probably has older guys too, but here's what he said. The king found the advice of these young men to be 10 times better, not twice, 10 times better than that of all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Why magicians? Why enchanters? Because that was what their education taught. It was like fortune telling, all this type of uh, superstitious type of stuff. That's what they believed in. They were training people to be that way. These guys were different, and they were considered 10 times better when he would talk to them as the other guys. Why? Because they didn't believe that garbage. That's why. They learned it all. They passed with high honors. They just didn't believe what they learned. They believed the Bible. And they approached him with biblical knowledge, not with the garbage that was in the world that wasn't true. Because a lot of the things that you hear in the world, it's not true. It's just not true. So how to excel in your education and not lose your faith? Because whether you're in school now, you need to excel and go to the top like Daniel did and not lose your faith. Or if you're in, at work or in the culture, you want to move to the top. And you're going to learn a lot of stuff from the media, from different sources that aren't biblical. And how do you remain faithful to, to God and keep your wisdom from God and yet make it to the top when what you believe is contrary to what other people believe around you. Your education is only as good as the content you learn. You know, your education, if, if you're only getting fake and false and unscientific and untrue content, it's not going to help you. You want to have the best content you can. And I'm, I promise you, that's in God's word. In 1962 and 1963... There were three major rulings that the Supreme Court came, went through and made that took the Bible and prayer out of school. 
Now, the Bible had been the main source, the primary source of education in the school system before that time. You know, every Ivy League school, like Princeton, Harvard, Brown, Yale, they were all started by Christians. They were Christian universities when they started. All of them except for Cornell. That's the only one that wasn't. So the Bible had always been a part of the public schools. And people thought it was a good idea. Doesn't sound bad. Let the churches teach religion. Let the schools teach everything else. It doesn't sound bad if that's what was happening. But that's not what really happened. They didn't get religion out of the schools. They got Christianity out of the schools. And they replaced it with secular humanism. Now, you might say, well, that's not religion. It is. Secular humanism, it's religion. You know how Buddhist, Buddhism is religion without a God. They don't believe in a God, but it's religion. Secular humanism is the same way. It's religion without a God. John Dewey, he was a famous humanist, and he's the founder of modern education. He called humanism our common faith. Why do you use the word faith? Because it's a religion. In 1933, a group of educators got together to write the Humanistic Manifesto. And in it, it says it's a religion. And Julian Huxley, he's a famous atheist, he said that humanism, secular humanism, it's religion without revelation. The word revelation means God's speaking to us, so we believe this way. That's revelation. He's saying it's religion, but without revelation. There's no God involved. We're not saying God spoke this to us. The Supreme Court declared that they're a religion. Secular humanism's a religion. They get all the same non-profit status that our church does or any religious group gets because it's a religion. So the problem with the school system, it's not that they took religion out. They just took Christianity out and replaced it with humanism. And that's bad. That's bad because... I believe that humanism is a false religion. And what it opened up the idea for is now it's very common, especially even in high schools, but especially in college, for a professor to belittle the Bible, for a professor to make you feel like you're an idiot, like you're uneducated if you believe these things, to challenge your values, to challenge your ethics. And that's okay. Because Christianity isn't a part of the university. Humanism is. It's humanism that they try to protect. Now, you can go to a university and you can feel like, man, there's a lot of atheists. Well, there's only, only 2% of the world is atheist. You might be surprised that even though secular humanism has taken over the universities and has spread to other countries, uh, atheism hasn't grown. What's grown is faith. People don't know this, but the, the amount of Christians, the amount of people... Involved in faith has increased, not the, not the atheist. There's now 15 million Jews. There's 600 million Buddhists. There's 800 million Hindus. There's 1.5 billion Muslims. There's 2.3 billion Christians. One out of every three people on this planet will say that they're a Christian. Isn't that amazing? Islam and Christianity are the two fastest growing religions. Islam is growing really fast by birth rate, have, the amount of children they're having. And Christianity is growing really fast by conversion, the amount of people that are turning to faith in, in Jesus because of uh, Christianity. So even though the universities, 
are the way that they are, and they can come out anti-Christian, it hasn't affected the growth of Christianity or the growth of religion in the world. It's growing just as fast as ever. It's doing fine. Universities are the seabed for unbelief. So how can we be like Daniel and his three friends where we don't lose our faith, we keep growing closer to God, even though our culture teaches us things that are against the Bible. How can we have success like they did? You know, because you're going to learn great things in public education, and you're going to learn some great things in the culture. But there's some really bad things out there as well. And usually where they miss it is in important things like your identity, your sexuality, your purpose in life, your meaning in life. That's where a lot of the universities and the culture is lost. They don't know the purpose of life. They don't know the meaning of life. One of the ideas that are held as a truth is that all truth is relative. What's true for you may not be true for me. That's what they try to teach you. But we know that it's opinions that are relative. Your opinion might not be I might not agree with your opinion, you might not agree with my opinion, but truth is always truth. Like gravity, it's always true. Gravity works. It, it's, it's a guaranteed. Some teachers will go as far as to say there's no absolute truth, but that statement is an absolute if you think about it. If you say there's no absolute truth, you're making an absolute statement. Their, their statement refutes themselves. You know, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense for them to say that. And no professor that says that believes it. Because if they say there's no absolute truths, but they get up in the morning 100% believing that gravity is still going to work. So they say it, they just don't believe it, and we shouldn't believe it either. If they're saying it and they don't believe it, why would I believe what they're saying? We know that there are absolutes. There are some things that are absolutely wrong. There are some things that are absolutely right. And there are some things that will always be wrong. And there's other things that will always be right. Because truth is truth. It doesn't change. Today in secular education, the idea is it's okay for you to think you're right. It's just not okay for you to think I'm wrong. But that's not logical. Because if I think I'm right and you believe something else, then you must be wrong. You know, it's almost like, let's make it so everybody gets, forget about the truth. Let's just make sure that everybody's happy. No, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you're right, and that means that they are wrong, if it's a truth. What the idea is, ideas are equally valid. But that argument goes like this. If ideas are equally valid, and I'm saying the moon is made out of moon rock or silica, and you're saying, no, don't you get it? The moon is made out of Swiss cheese. <laughs> My idea and your idea is not equally valid. It's not. So all ideas being equally valid is nonsense. That's putting someone's feelings, well, I want to make sure that they feel okay, above the truth. No, there are some things that are wrong. It's not made out of Swiss cheese. So how do you excel, excel in a world that has these ideas out there where when you disagree with them, sometimes you're treated 
like you're somehow a bad person. You're not getting along with everybody. How do you excel in a world like that? Daniel excelled, and, he, and what he believed was 100% against what they believed. He knew what they believed because the number one thing that they would teach you in that Babylonian system was about their gods. That was the number one most important thing that they wanted to teach you. The number one thing that he knew was the worst, but he excelled to the top. How do you do this? And how can we do this in our society? Number one, decide in advance to stand for God. You're saying, you know what? I'm not going to get in this situation and think, oh, what am I going to do? You know already now, I'm, I'm with God. I'm with God. Because you want, you want to pass the test before it even happens. You know, I'm going for God. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's guaranteed. You are going to have people that test your faith at work, in our culture, at school. The Bible says that everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. If you make a stand for what's right, you're going to get harassed. Because a lot of the things that are right, the culture around you thinks it's wrong. And a lot of things that are wrong, the culture around you thinks that it's right. And if you're willing to make a stand and say, this is right, or this is wrong, you're going to be harassed. Your faith is going to be challenged. So you have to be prepared. There's geography test, sociology test, math test, English test. But the most important test is the test of your faith. The test of your faith. Where do you stand with God on this issue? No matter what, where do I stand with God? God's never going to say to me, I'm standing before God at the end of time. Did you pass that social studies test? But he's going to check to see if I passed the testing of my faith. Did I stand with what was right even when it meant suffering? Did I protect that innocent person even when everybody else was treating them guilty? But I knew they were innocent, so I stood with them when all the culture got mad at me for doing it. That's the testing of your faith. When you see a group of people being persecuted, no matter who they are, no matter what religion they are, no matter, you know, and you try to protect them from that persecution, no matter who they are, because of your faith. I'm, I'm not going to let people be mistreated. You know, he's going to test you, how did you treat people? Did you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Did I pass the test of my faith? Because your faith is seen by how you treat other people. Did I treat people right? And when you do, you're going to be harassed. There's three choices you have when you're harassed. You can take a dive and say, okay, society, school, everything's against me, so I'm just going to give up my faith. You can take a dive. Or you can withdraw and you can say, I'm really a Christian, but I'm never going to let them know because I don't want them to make fun of me. You know, so I'll just, it would be my little secret. I'll just kind of withdraw and hide it. Or uh, you can be determined to thrive while expressing your faith. Daniel expressed his faith, but he was determined to thrive. He wasn't ashamed to express it. He didn't take a dive. He didn't hide. He expressed it. And yet, uh, he rose to the top. Because you can still rise to the top even if the culture around you disagrees with you. In Daniel 1.8, Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. He made a commitment. Part of that is 
I want to protect my mind. I want to protect my heart. I'm going to make sure that I'm not being influenced in a way that's ungodly, in a way that God would be ashamed of. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I care what does God think. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. So he says, the number one way to learn is put God first. Seek him first. Okay, I, I want to grow in my education. I want to grow up my job. I want to be the best person I can be. Start with God. That's the foundation. Because that's how you're going to learn what truth is, is from God. He knows truth. A lot of people know a lot of stuff, and yet they don't know the most important stuff, like they don't know God. What is it if I know a lot of stuff? I have so many degrees that you call me Dr. Fahrenheit, but I don't know God. Is, am I going to be anything? Is that going to make a difference? God calls you a fool if you don't know him, if you've, if you've learned everything else, but you ignore him. He's your creator. I'm very pro-education. I think, you know, you should go to school and go as far as you can. But I think you should know the Bible so well that if a teacher is teaching you something that's not biblical, that you know, why, well, that's not right. You know, that's not right. Because you've read the Bible. You know what it says. And then you can stand firm in your belief in the middle of a classroom where maybe everybody else is being suckered in and they think you're some sort of loser for believing what you believe. In Proverbs 15, 33, reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. Because when you have reverence for God, you're revering the guy that invented biology and physics and astronomy, you know, social studies, geography, art, music. God's the one that thought all that up. He's the one. Number two, never stop learning. Leaders are learners. You want to be learning for the rest of your life. The moment you stop learning, you're not going to grow anymore, and neither is your business or whatever else you're doing. I, if I want to be a better husband, I need to keep learning how. Once I stop learning, I'm not going to be a better husband. If I want to be a better father, I need to keep learning how. If I stop learning, I'm not going to be a better father. If I want to be a better pastor, I have to keep studying and learning how. If I, once I stop learning, I'm not going to get better. You have to constantly grow. Proverbs 2, 6, and 7, all wisdom comes from the Lord, and so do common sense and understanding. God gives helpful advice to everyone who obeys him and protects all of those who live as they should. So God wants to give you wisdom and common sense. Think, what's the new skill I want to develop in my life? What's the area that I want to go forward in? Well, you're going to need God and his word to help you in those areas. Proverbs 18, 15, Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. Circle learning and listening. You see the connection? How did they learn? I think they learned because they were listening. That's one of the best skills that you can have is learning how to listen. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that isn't ashamed. God says, if you don't want to be ashamed, study. So he believes in education. He, be, he believes in you learning. Do you know the word disciple? It actually means learner. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, the word literally means I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm a follower of Jesus, meaning I'm learning from him. I'm, I, he's my teacher is what it means. So when you understand that, 
That means God wants us to be learners. He wants us to constantly be learning. And I'm not just saying learn the Bible. God wants you to learn whatever you're working on, whatever is relevant to your life. He wants you to learn. If you're a professional soccer player, he'd want you to try to learn how to be better. Like you're constantly learning and learning. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. He wants you to learn how to be better and better. That God wants you to continue to excel. Proverbs 19.8. Those who get wisdom do themselves a favor, and those who love learning will succeed. He wants you to love learning. Oh, I love to learn new stuff. Because that's the way that you get to the top. If you, you know, finish your degree and you say, oh, good, I never have to read a book again. You're never going to excel. It's the wrong idea. You want to love learning. Knowledge is information that you gain from education and experience. But wisdom is when you, get, you learn it from God. So I want to have wisdom where I'm responding to things from God's viewpoint. Like I can have a lot of knowledge, but I want to I respond to my relationships the way that God would teach me how to respond. Like how would God want me to respond to this? I want to respond to my finances the way that God would want me to. Like the world might teach you a way to get super, super wealthy. But then because you know God, you'd be convicted to use some of that money to help people. See, because, you know, the world might not even mention that. As, that's not on their page. But wisdom comes from God, and from uh, God's point of view, that's really great what they're saying, but I believe that God wants me to do this as well, because you have wisdom from God. Knowledge is in a book, but wisdom comes from God. Some people have knowledge, but it doesn't mean that they're wise. They're very educated. They just don't necessarily have enough wisdom to know, who am I? Highly educated, where did I come from? Highly educated, what's the meaning of my life? Highly educated, does my life even matter? Because you don't get those things from knowledge. You get those things from wisdom. Those things come from knowing God. Number three, steep myself in God's word. I use the word steep because you take tea, and when it's steeping in that hot water, it's getting all the flavor out of it that you can. And you want to get all the flavor in a sense out of God's word that you can. You want to just get as much out of it. So it's more than just reading the Bible to, get to do that. You might see certain words, I mean certain verses, and memorize. I'm going to memorize this verse. Because it's more than just reading it. And when you, you know, when T.S., being steeped in hot water, it's really, getting, it's really getting soaked. And that's what we want to do with God's word. Really get it in as much as we can. Joshua 1.8 says, Study God's word continually. Meditate on it day and night so you may be sure to obey all that's written in it. If you do, you will be prosperous and successful. I want to be prosperous. I want to succeed. So you meditate on it. What does that mean to meditate on it? If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Worry is you take fear, anxiety, or a problem, and you're thinking about it over and over and over and over. Meditation is a positive of that. You're taking like a Bible verse, and you're thinking about it over and over and over. So worry is the negative of meditation. It's the same thing. 
you've got it on your mind. You think you read that Bible verse, and you're thinking about or that passage, and you're thinking about it over and over throughout the day, and you're really chewing on it. That's what it means to meditate. It actually comes from the word that the cows would eat the grass, and then they swallow it, and then they it goes into, I forget the name of that stomach part that they have. It's not all the way in their stomach. Then it comes back up, and they chew it more, then they swallow it, and they chew it more, then they swallow it. And that's how they get all the nutrition out of it before they swallow it into their main stomach. Chewing from the cud is the way they describe it in the Bible. So the idea is you get God's word, you chew on it a bit. Then later on, you chew on it some more. And later on, you chew on it some more. And that's where we get the word meditation from. That's what it means if you were to break down the word to its original meaning. So the secret of success in life is wisdom. And the secret of wisdom is to meditate on God's word. That's what's going to make you wise. And we live in a world where there's lies. There are worldview lies. There's cultural lies. There's moral lies. There's political lies. We live in a world that there's a lot of lies. Would you say that you've been lied to before by politicians? Would you say that sometimes people say something's right when it's wrong? And something's wrong when it's right on morals? There's all kinds of lies in this world. The only thing that can help me against the lies is to know the truth. And the only way that I can know the truth is to know the Bible. That's the only way. In the U.S. Uh, Treasury Department, they'll train people how to know a counterfeit. They don't give you a lot of counterfeit money so you can tell what a counterfeit is. They give you the real stuff. And you study the real dollar, and then when you see something different, you know it's a counterfeit. The only way to know the wrong is to study what's right. The same way with the Bible. The, the way for me to understand if something's counterfeit is to read the real thing. If you, know, if you study the authentic, you'll know what's not authentic. You'll know the truth. Psalms 119.104 says, Your commandments give me great understanding. It's no wonder I can see and hate every false way of life. He's, he got it from God's word. Would you like to be smarter, have more insight and wiser than your teachers? Psalm 119.99 says, I am wiser and have more insight than all my teachers because I continually meditate on your word. So because... He's meditating on God's word. He's wiser than them. He's saying, I'm not going to look at public opinion. I'm going to look at what God says. Then I'll know if the public opinion is correct or not. Daniel had to learn all kinds of stuff he didn't believe, but he still rose to the top. Some people say, I want to read through the whole Bible and study it, but where am I going to find the time? Well, I just found this statistic. The average 18-year-old today has spent 30,000 hours looking at a screen, either a video game, an iPad, laptop, television, but looking at a screen, 30,000 hours. It takes 80 hours to read through the whole Bible. So there's no excuse. If I can spend 30,000 hours, even before I'm in college, looking at a screen, I could have at least put the Bible on that screen for 80 of those hours and read the whole Bible, right? So we have time to read the Bible. We have time to study it. We have time to know what it says. Proverbs says, a wise person is hungry for truth while the fool speeds on trash. God wants you to be wise, hungry to know the truth. We want to study the Bible. We're hungry for it. Number four, 
choose believers as my best friend, as my best friends. One of the reasons why Daniel excelled in a hostile environment is he, has, he had a support group. He wasn't stuck in a university all by himself with no friends. He had three of his best friends with him, and they held each other strong. They gave each other support uh, during that tough time. This isn't saying that you're not supposed to have non-believing friends. You want to show kindness to everybody. You want to show love to everybody. You want to help everybody. You want to share the good news with everybody. But what it's saying is your best friends need to be those people that have your values. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Think like, where would you like to be in 10 years? Without knowing anything about you even. All I need to know is two things. Who are you hanging out with and what are you filling your mind with? And I can tell you where you'll be in 10 years. It has nothing to do with your desire. For example, if I want to make it there in 10 years, but the people I'm hanging out with are going a different direction and the things I'm filling my mind with is going a different direction, all the good feelings inside, like that's what I want to be one day, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, I guarantee you. But if I want to get there, I need to be around people that are heading that direction and I need to be reading and taking in and being influenced in my mind in that direction. So just look at your friends, look at what you're putting in your mind, and you know exactly where you're going to be in 10 years. It's going to tell you. It's going to guide exactly where you're going to be. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And if the company I have around me is bad, it's going to pull me away. That's why... Daniel had to have his three friends with him. He's a human just like us. He needed that support group. We need Christian friends. In Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from fools or you won't learn a thing. There's some people that you can be friendly to, but they can't be your best friends. You're going to be friendly to them because you're a loving person, but they're not going to be the number one person in your life. Parents, if you have a kid going to college, and they don't want to learn, don't put money into it. You stick a kid in a university somewhere, and they don't want to learn, you know what they're going to do? They're probably going to join a fraternity and just drink and live it up and sex and everything like that, and, and for a whole year without mom and dad watching them. You have to wait till the kid wants to go to school. The kid has to have that hunger for it. Like, I want to learn before you, before you put time into that. Proverbs 17, 16 says, It is senseless to pay tuition to educate a fool who has no heart for wisdom. They have to want it first. Ecclesiastes 10.3, fools show their stupidity by the way they live. It's easy to see they have no sense. Just look at how they're living. Psalms 1, 1 and 2. The happiest people, the ones God blesses, don't walk with those who suggest doing wrong, don't stand with those who like to sin, and don't sit around with cynics who deny God. Notice the progression. You first start walking with them. And then you start standing with them. That means you're talking longer. And now you're sitting with them. Now you're part of their group. You know, look at the people that you're around. Who are you sitting with? If you're sitting with the cynics, if you're sitting with the wrong people, that's the direction your life's going. If you're sitting with the right type of people, that's the direction your life's going to go. And number five, stay connected to a church. You need input. You need output. You need support. The church gives you all those. 
in Hebrews, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Circle, not give up. Circle that. The reason people lose their faith is they stop doing the things that they used to do that was helping them grow. So if I stop going to church, it's going to affect my faith. If, like say, I go to a new place or whatever, and I'm not hanging around Christian friends anymore, it's going to affect my faith. I don't care how strong you are. I'm a pastor of a church. If I'm in a new situation where all the people I'm hanging around with aren't Christian, don't have my values, they're going to start pulling me away. Because that's what happens. You have to have the right support group. You can even believe that the direction you're going is wrong, but then you find yourself over there slowly and slowly. You want to stay involved in ministry, serving God with your gifts and talents. We need the right people in our life. We need a church. In 1 Peter, it is God's will that you live such a good life that it silences those who foolishly condemn the gospel without knowing what it can do for them. I can remember being in school as a student and being, you know, criticized or, you know, my faith being attacked as a student sitting there listening to what the professor would say. I found out some professors, because I would debate them, uh, but I knew God's word. And some of the professors would, it didn't matter what you say, they were anti-Christian. And I think it's probably because they're hurt. They've gone through some sort of hurt in their life. But the difference is, if you don't know God's word, you're not prepared. The professor comes in and he starts attacking you. He doesn't do this. Everybody, tomorrow I'm going to attack your faith. So your homework assignment is go home and study on the internet all the things that people do to attack and, and study the other side so you come prepared to know what you really believe. They don't do that. They don't give you a chance to go and, okay, these are the ways that we get attacked and this is the other. And you read, oh, wow, this makes more sense. Because when you listen to their attacks and you already know the answer, their attacks are very, very weak. But if you're a student and you don't know the answer and they're attacking you and, and you didn't have a chance to prepare and study for it, in the classroom setting and you try to uh, discuss it with them, you look like an idiot and it convinces everybody in the class that the teacher's right and you're wrong. Because he came prepared and he surprises you with it and you say, what about this? And then he attacks you and you look like the fool because he's prepared and you're not. If you're studying the Bible already, you're in those situations and you're already prepared. Because you already know the answers. I can't tell you how many times I was in discussions with the teachers where I got the whole class on my side, just using basic logic, because I knew ahead of time from the study I'd already done. So they seem intimidating, they seem smart, until you hear the other side, until you have a chance to hear all the facts, which they don't let you know that unless somebody in there knows it. So don't be intimidated by those things. A teacher can sound pretty impressive on his own turf, but the truth of the matter is the most educated people throughout history have had faith. People like da Vinci, Kepler, Newton, Copernicus, some of the greatest minds ever in history had a deep faith in God. Now, you have people like Voltaire that was a skeptic, and he was anti-God, you know, he's one that went the other way. But the majority weren't, aren't. You know, the majority of them believe in God. Remember, only 2% of the people are atheists. But in that classroom, you may, it makes you feel like if you believe in God that 
you are full. Voltaire says this. This was over 100 years ago. A hundred years from today, the Bible will be a buried book. Do you know, over a hundred years have gone by, and the Bible is the number one selling book in the world. So he was wrong, right? But it's even more humorous than that. Do you believe that God has a sense of humor? Do you know his home, his home that he used to live in? When he died, it became the headquarters for the French Bible Society. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? The guy that says the Bible is going to be buried, his own home becomes the Bible society place where they print the Bibles and send them out. Number six, remember that God will reward me. You will receive great rewards in eternity for every time you're harassed or criticized or insulted or shunned or made fun of. In Matthew, it says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you get harassed and criticized for your faith, don't worry. You're going to be rewarded for that. Look at Philippians. God has given Jesus the name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Imagine the scene. It's the end of history. Everybody who's ever lived kneeling before Jesus and saying he's Lord. Every teacher or professor that you've had, all the friends that have made fun of you for your faith, you know, rock stars, athletes, celebrities, they're all on their knees saying Jesus is Lord. Every politician, every world leader, Freud, Stalin, Marx, Darwin, Plato, Aristotle, they're all on their knees saying Jesus is Lord. Every atheist who's refused in pride to admit that Jesus is Lord, is now on their knees saying that Jesus is Lord. That's how things are going to end. You don't have to have approval of culture. The culture around you does not have to agree with you. But you can know this. God the Father made me. Jesus died for me. God's Spirit lives in me. That's what you need. That's the most important thing. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to excel in our education, at our jobs. We want to do the best we can. So, Lord, we've decided to put our faith in you and to trust you. Lord, we want to continue to learn, continue to grow. We want to hear other viewpoints. We're not afraid of that. But we want to know your word so that we can tell if that viewpoint is right or wrong. Help us to spend time reading your Bible, meditating on it so that we can prosper and so that we can succeed. We want all the wisdom we can get from you, God. Help us to choose the right type of friends so that we can walk in a positive direction. Help us to stay connected to a church so we have a place where we can do ministry so that we can receive support, that we can have the relationships that we need to succeed. Help us to remember that when we're attacked, we're going to be rewarded. Lord, we trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.